facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. So good to be with you today. Today's a show that I've been looking forward to for a really, really long time. I've got a great guest who I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment, but I want to give out the digits first. 888-914-9149. That's the toll-free line to call in and talk to me and my guest. I'm sure you'll have questions for him. 888-914-9149. You can also find me on Twitter slash X at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We have a show account as well, at Kale Clark Show. But once again, that number to call, 888-914-9149. All right, let's do it. Let's get right into it. My guest today is somebody that, again, I'm so excited to talk to. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and he is also a rabbi, a rabbi who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's got a new book out now called Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, A Fresh Look at the Miracles of Jesus, published by Thomas Nelson Press. Rabbi Jason Sobel is my guest today on The Kale Clark Show. Rabbi Shalom, thanks for taking the time today. How are you? Shalom, shalom. and I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you. Well, I am so thrilled to have you on the program. We've been kind of get this conversation going for quite some time, so I'm happy to do it. And Rabbi, I always like to start with people's, I guess you could say, superhero origin story, if you will. Now, you grew up <laughs> in New Jersey, and I'm kind of, ima- now maybe this, is, maybe this is a crazy image, I'm kind of imagining you driving a Camaro, maybe cranking Bon Jovi or Springsteen, windows down. <laughs> was that what your, what your young adulthood was like, or was it a little bit different? Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a Camaro. I wouldn't mind having a Camaro <laughs> or an IROC Z or something like that. But now nothing, nothing that uh, fancy. But uh, I was a DJ for a season. So, oh, no kidding! Wow. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, you probably get probably got hired for a lot of bar mitzvahs for sure. But but obviously, growing <laughs> up in a in a Jewish home in New Jersey, what was your childhood like? Your upbringing like, especially from a religious point of view? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I grew up in a Jewish family, had lost most of my family during the Holocaust, so, so being Jewish was something that was very important. I went to Hebrew school and you know studied Hebrew and all the Jewish tradition and liturgy and uh, customs, celebrated the, the, the weekly Sabbath, the Shabbat, and the biblical mm-hmm. holidays, and would go to synagogue regularly and you know family is a very important value in the jewish community and spending time together as as a family so it was surrounded by grandparents aunts and uncles and yeah it was a it was a really nice uh upbringing knew a lot of jews and also had a lot of catholic friends i knew jews and catholics growing up <laughs> hey yeah there are a lot of catholics in new jersey for sure and uh and yeah you mentioned to me uh we, we spoke on the phone earlier that yeah had a lot of catholic friends growing up and let, let me ask you this though. so how did how did you what what it was the process like how in the world did you discover that the messiah is jesus tell me about this yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I mean, so like I said, I, I grew up in a Jewish family. I was actually for a season working in the music industry in New York City. Oh, wow. And looked at the lives of all these famous people that I was working with. And I said to myself, there has to be more to life 
than just this and began a spiritual journey was studying with my rabbi, also was studying martial arts, and through that, meditation. And one day while I was meditating, I had a spiritual encounter where I my soul encount- left my body. I went up into heaven, and I saw this king on this throne, high and lifted up. And I didn't know anything about Jesus, but I knew that was him seated on that throne, felt the presence and power of God pulsate through my body. And, you know, you know, I knew I was called to serve him as a result of that. I had no idea what that meant for a Jewish boy, <laughs> <laughs> but began this journey to try and understand who Jesus was, which eventually led me to reading the New Testament and, uh, you know, coming to faith in him as the Messiah, as the Savior. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel. This is intriguing to me. So we did we just did a show yesterday on near-death experiences and some of the religious connotations that, that come along with many of those. And and we had a lot of people calling in, talking about that, and also dreams and visions. So for, for you, was this was this a dream? Was it a vision where you kind of were awake at the time? And, and where, where, did, where exactly were you when this happened? What were you doing? Yeah, I, I, I was... I was like I said, I was, I was in my bedroom. I would, you know, meditate. And as I was meditating, my soul began to vibrate. It began to leave my body. I could literally see my body below me. I went through the roof into the heavens. And that's when the next thing I know, I saw this King high and lifted up in this glorious light seated, seated on a throne and just felt God's presence in a way that's really undescribable and you know i just knew that 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 king on that throne that was that was speaking to me was was jesus i had no context for it Mm -hmm. and so i didn't know what to do with it i I was i came back down in my body i was running around going i'm called to serve him i'm called to serve him mom's like you're called to serve jesus we're we're jewish for for (laughs) goodness sake what are you doing jesus (laughs) wow uh, you know, and did you get a lot? Did you get a lot of pushback initially from your family on this? How'd they take it? Y- yeah, well, I mean, when I actually came to faith a little while later after reading the New Testament for the first mm-hmm. time, because I'd never seen the New Testament before, um, you know, my mom was upset initially. She thought I had joined a cult. She's like, you know, go meet with the rabbi; he'll set mm-hmm. you straight. And I got my my Tanakh, my Hebrew version of the scriptures, outlined all the, underlined all the messianic promises and passages from the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Went and had a discussion with him, but it was clear to me that that Jesus was the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. If you have a question for Rabbi, triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. That's an amazing experience, Rabbi. And I want to ask you about this because I know that you've you've heard of Roy Shoman. He he's a convert from Judaism to Catholicism, and uh, he he went to MIT, studied under some famous American rabbis himself. Um, had a pretty mystical experience as well in his journey into Catholicism. But one of the things he's written a couple of books. One of them is called "Salvation is from the Jews," which obviously is a quote from Jesus himself in his conversation with the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4. 
And he also wrote another book called Honey from the Rock, which is about basically 12 converts to Catholicism from Judaism, including uh, the chief rabbi of Rome during World War II, um, Rabbi Israel Zali. And, and one of the things that he says, Roy Shoman, is that people don't realize that there are many Jews who do find Jesus as the Messiah. And it happens on the regular in Israel. There's some reports saying there are thousands, even tens of thousands of, of conversions happening uh, in in a given year, and, and it's just not reported, it's not heard about. Are, are you aware of this phenomenon, and, and what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are always Jewish people who are encountering Jesus, his Hebrew name, Yeshua, is what he would be known in Israel by, whether they are secular Jews uh, who are encountering him or hearing of the the gospel through uh, other people that believe, or whether it's supernatural encounters similar to I have. And there's even, I even know uh, people in the Orthodox religious community who are like wow. Nicodemuses who are secret or quiet believers, you know, because they know that if they were to come out, they would be, you know, they would be shunned and yeah. they would you know, mm-hmm. lose their family, lose, lose their community. It would be very, even maybe their livelihood. Yeah, it's, it's so intriguing. And, and, and obviously, you mentioned earlier, Rabbi, when you were talking about uh, reading through some of the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and maybe it's, maybe it's the kind of thing where you can't see it when you're, when you're in the middle of it, but, or maybe it's like, you know, St. Paul talks about in Scripture that sort of a veil is placed over, over people's eyes in a certain sense. That when when somebody who is a believer in Jesus reads these messianic prophecies, and there are dozens, dozens of them, that he, he just fits the bill. Jesus fits the description of the Messiah. Why is it? Do you think that that people don't see that in, in Jewish communities? I mean, I mean, there's obviously probably some sort of a there's a cultural pressure not to convert, obviously. Um, and are people sort of taught, you know, no, I mean, you have to reject Christ. Don't even think about it. How, how does that sort of go usually? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, I think there's a challenge because, unfortunately, there's been a lot of horrible things done to the Jewish people in the name mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of those people weren't necessarily real followers of Jesus, but they claimed the name right. <laughs> and the title. Right. So and and so people, you know, but you know, Jewish people don't know one difference from someone who isn't right. Mm-hmm. They just know mm-hmm. this is what they claim to be and what we've ex- what we experienced in Europe and other places throughout history. So it's kind of like, how can we believe in a Messiah in whose name we're persecuted? That doesn't make any sense. If he's our mm-hmm. Messiah, why mm-hmm. why would people hate us and persecute us and accuse us of killing him? Right? Um, mm-hmm. Then there's another factor, which is. I think the reality of the fact that we, you know, it's interesting in the story of Joseph, the brothers don't recognize him the first time they right. come down to Egypt. They only recognize him the second time they come down during the famine, Egypt, Joseph and the technical mm-hmm. dream coat, right? That story. And, and because he walked like an Egyptian, he talked like an Egyptian. <laughs> he was unrecognizably Jewish, right? I mean, unrecognizable until he took off his Egyptian garb and he spoke to them in Hebrew and says to Joseph, I'm Joseph. And in many ways, the Church has made Jesus into an Egyptian. He's been stripped out of 
his Jewish and historical context and all sorts of other cultural garbs have been placed upon him. That's part of what we're trying to do is help people see him in high definition in his original context. And a great picture of that is the famous picture of Da Vinci's Last Supper, right? It's The Last Supper was a Passover Seder. He was Hmm. the fulfillment of the Passover, dying as the Passover lamb. Well, if you look at what they're eating in the Passover, for example, they're eating fluffy loaves of white bread because... You know, instead of instead of yeah. unleavened bread, it was the piece right. of unleavened bread. Or, or if you look at the main course, they're eating fish instead of the Passover lamb because the painter was a nice Catholic boy, right? And it's during Lent. So it's like, <laughs> it's unrecognizable to many Jewish people. They think he's a nice Jewish boy who Jesus converted and became a, uh, you know, Christian. Yeah, it, that's really interesting. Rabbi Jason Sobel is my guest, the author of the new book, Signs and Secrets of the Messiah. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. And, and Rabbi, I, I think it's really interesting. I think you've hit upon something that that I talk about a lot. And right now I'm doing a, a series on another program called The Faith Explained here on Relevant Radio. It's called Jesus 101. And one of the things that I'm trying to stress is that a lot of the quite frankly, bizarre pictures of Jesus that are out there, whether it's produced by biblical scholars or it's stuff that gets into the news because, I mean, if somebody comes out and says, yeah, I believe the portrait of Jesus from the New Testament is accurate, that's not going to get you in the media. But if you say um, Jesus was, uh, I don't know, I mean, name, name any ideology, he, he belonged you know, or, to or it. Jesus, or Jesus was married. Yeah, or, or some, whatever something like that. Be, right, yeah. And just, yeah. but, but, but I just think there's, there's such a failure to get Jesus right in his Jewish context. And, you know, that he was Jewish. And let's face it, he had, yes, there were, yes, there were people who were opposed to him. Yes, the high priest was opposed to him. But he also had a lot of followers. And people would never have followed him if he did not fulfill the expectations of the Jewish Messiah. So I, I just, I just wanted to ask you, Rabbi, what, what kind of an advantage is it? to be able to read the New Testament. I mean, the documents are all written by Jews who have come to accept Jesus as the Messiah. What kind of an advantage is it to read the New Testament through Jewish eyes? That's a, I mean, that's a wonderful question. I mean, I'll, I'll liken it to this in a way. One year before the Super Bowl, I went out and bought a high-definition television, and everyone told me it's going to change the way you see the game. And I'm like, this isn't that great. I don't know what everyone's <laughs> making such a fuss over. And then towards the end of the game, as I'm flipping through the channels during a commercial, I have a revelation. And that is I watched the whole game in standard definition because the higher channels were the high definition channels. And I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> but when I saw it in high definition, I'm like, wow, this really does make a difference. And so Having a Jewish background, this is what we do in Signs and Secrets of the Messiah and the other books that we've written, is we want to help people see how the details connect, how the old and the new connect, so it comes to life in a new and fresh way, and they see it in high definition in HD. That, that, that's a great analogy. That's an absolutely great analogy. Yeah, we've all had that experience of, oh, this is, these aren't the HD channels. Let, let's, let's keep going here. We need to turn it up. We need to go to the higher channels. And uh, it's definitely an interesting way to, to look at the text. And when, before we, we're going to take a quick break in a second. Your phone calls are coming up as well. 888-914-9149. If you have a question for Rabbi Jason Sobel, so enjoying this conversation here 
on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. One of the things that you mentioned in the book, just and people probably heard these terms before, but maybe you could just take a moment to to explain things a little bit. What, what are some of the major Jewish sources that rabbis use other than Scripture, like the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Midrash? What, what are these things? Can you explain them? Absolutely. So you have the uh, Mishnah, which is the earliest uh, understanding of how to apply the the commandments that gave that God gave in the five books of Moses. So there's these oral traditions or oral Torah that surrounds these. So it might say, you know, do this, but it doesn't give you the details, and the rabbis are filling in those details. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Talmud, which is the commentary commentaries upon that initial commentary of the Mishnah. Then you have something, then you have the Midrash, which is kind of like the homiletical tradition, the rabbis looking to fill in the gaps or the details in the text to bring some sort of application or moral principles to our life. And there's a lot of examples of uh, Midrashic interpretation in the New Testament, uh, Mm. for example. You have the mystical tradition of the uh, Kabbalah and the Zohar and other mystical texts. So there's a number of different uh, texts within within Judaism and Jewish tradition. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show. Yeah, Rabbi, my my professor, Dr. Craig Evans, who's a great friend of the program. I know you know him as well. Um, one of the one of the the bits he used to do in class was when he was talking about the midrash. He would he would just start casually scratching his chest, and <laughs> and he would do this for several minutes before people caught on midrash. Get it? I'm itchy. All right. Anyways, I don't know if that's a good joke or not, but I thought it was funny. And, I like it. I like it. I like <laughs> so feel free to steal that. Go ahead and use it. All right. All right. Well, listen, we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show. But when we come back, we're going to talk. But we're going to actually dive into this book, which is all about the miracles of Jesus and how Jesus is still doing miracles today. I don't know if you've heard, but Rabbi Jason is going to talk about that on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to the program. My guest today is Rabbi Jason Sobel, New York Times bestselling author and also an advisor for the Chosen TV series. That's interesting as well. We're going to talk to him about that in a few minutes. 888-914-9149 is the number to call, 888-914-9149. 9149 if you have a question for Rabbi. And Rabbi Sobel, you focus very specifically in your new book, Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, A Fresh Look at the Miracles of Jesus, on what what are called in the Gospel of John. You're really focusing on John's Gospel here, the signs of Jesus. The miracles are never called miracles in John. They're called signs. And there are there are 27 miracles wrought by Jesus, mentioned in the New Testament. It's kind of poetic because there are 27 books in the New Testament. But John has four miracles that are not in the other Gospels. And why why is that the case? Why are they called signs, do you think, in John specifically? Yeah, I think that is a, a, a great question. I think there's two important things to understand. I think on one level, 
signs are kind of like signposts. They're kind of like billboards that you see on the highway. The billboard doesn't exist for itself, but exists to point you to something. So all the miracles that he performs are meant to point to the fact that he is the promised Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, and they're meant to reveal a different aspect of the heart and nature of who the Lord is. On another level, I think one of the overarching themes of the book of John is to show that Jesus is the greater than Moses promise in the Old Testament. So from a Jewish perspective, the Messiah was going to be a greater than Moses. As it was with the first Moses, so was it going to be with the second Moses. So, for example, Moses parted the Red Sea. So what does what does Jesus do? He walks on water. Moses gave manna. So what does uh, <laughs> Jesus do? He multiplies mm-hmm. the bread and the fish. And we can keep going down the list and showing yeah. all of these connections, and we'll get into some of them. But that's a key part of it. And so in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that is used is samion, which means mm-hmm. a miraculous sign, which is what John is picking up as he's reading the ancient, using the ancient Greek text to inform his writing of the New Testament in Greek, the uh, Septuagint. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and it's true, and it's not just in John, it's really all over the New Testament, but Matthew as well. Yeah. Matthew obviously being a very Jewish gospel. Sometimes people will ask me, why, if Mark was the first gospel written, which most scholars think, and I do too, uh, why, why does Matthew appear first in the New Testament? It's such a great bridge between the Old and the New Covenant, and it's very clearly that Matthew lays out Jesus as a new Moses. He goes up the mountain. Moses had, had the Ten Commandments. Jesus has ten Beatitudes. A lot of Catholics think there are eight Beatitudes. There are actually ten. There are five books in the Gospel of Matthew, if you will, five major speeches Jesus gives to correspond with the Torah. So it, it's it's just all over the place. And I love what you said, too, Rabbi. Hey, forget about parting the Red Sea. Let's just go over top. Let's just walk on top of the water. I, I, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and spe- speaking of water, I want to I focus in on, on one. And, and the whole book is great, by the way. I really, really appreciate you writing this. And it's just very practical as well, going through these miracles in Jesus and the Gospel of John. But speaking of water... The very first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding, turning water into wine. Talk to me a little bit about about Jewish wedding traditions. We, we see them in, in, in films and plays like Fiddler on the Roof. And can you explain what's going on with, with, with the canopy and, and, and all, all that stuff? Tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's a detail in the Bible, it's there for a reason. So... First of all, it says that he does the miracle on the third day. And what's interesting is that in Jewish weddings tradition, it's one of the most popular days to get married. Because the third day of the creation, yeah, because the third day of the creation is the only day that God uh, says is good twice. So it's doubly blessed. (laughs) It's good, good. (laughs) The third day, right? So it's, and on top of that, it's the day that God reveals himself at Mount Sinai, God says to Israel, prepare yourself for the third day. So it's a day is blessed. It's a day of revelation. Uh, God says to, it's a day connected to redemption. God says to uh, Abraham, take your son Isaac off from the mountain that I'll show you. And I, and, Mo, and I, uh, Abraham lifted up his day and he saw the 
lifted up his eyes and saw the mountain from a distance on the third day. So it was on the third day that Abraham offered Isaac. The day Isaac came off the altar, which is a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a type. And so the Mm -hmm. third day is very significant. And many Jewish people to this day, if you're in Israel on the third day, you see tons of weddings, (laughs) tons of celebrations going on. He does the miracle at a wedding. Why? His ministry begins at a wedding because in the book of Revelation, it's all going to culminate in a wedding Mm. at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's symbolic of our relationship with him, that we are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Uh, The wedding canopy, I love how they portrayed it in The Chosen and and being part of that. Um, it, It pictures the couple forming a new life, a new home together under the sovereignty and under the authority of God. Right, So he's the covering over their marriage and over this uh, sacrament that they're about to enter into, into this covenant, the sacrament of marriage. So there's so much rich symbolism and depth there. There sure is. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel. And one of the things that you mentioned in the book about about this canopy that covers the couple is that it's, it's sort of like almost like a large prayer shawl, and and sometimes it can be a family heirloom of some sort. And, and there's kind of a, a sagging middle of the canopy, and that that is an Old Testament reference as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of places that God talks about being the canopy or the covering over Israel. So, for example, as we said, God comes down on Mount Sinai on the third day, Well, part of the imagery is that Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, was actually a wedding. Moses was the matchmaker. Israel was the bride. God was the groom. And the clouds of glory that hung over the people and sagged, that was was the wedding canopy. And the wedding contract, um, known as the Ketubah, was the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel. And Jesus, as the greater than Moses, is coming to bring us into an even greater depth of understanding and relationship of what all that represents. Yeah, it's so interesting too that 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 really marriage is a is a covenant, and and there's a theologian who's very famous for talking about covenant in the Catholic community. His name is Dr. Scott Hahn, and he is always saying this. He just hammers this home in his teaching all the time that that a contract is an exchange of goods and services, but a covenant is an exchange of persons, which is really what the wedding vows are all about. I am yours and you are mine. And God makes a covenant with his people, gives himself to us. And it's kind of interesting when I was reading your, your book and you're talking about the canopy, uh, you know, Jewish weddings, it, it made me think a lot about St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And so many pilgrims go there every year. And there's this, this, it's very Baroque, and, and some people say if it's Baroque, don't fix it. You know, I, I love Baroque. I, I, I absolutely love that stuff. And there's this canopy over the main altar in St. Peter's. It's it's called a baldacchino, and it and it really does. I think it's. I think the reason it's there is because the the, the Eucharist is. You know, St. John Paul II talked about this a lot. He, he talked about that it was the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride that that Jesus the bridegroom unites himself to us in the Eucharist gives us his flesh and blood his body blood soul and divinity and and we collectively as the the church are his bride and that that imagery is just all over the place think about John the Baptist as being kind of the best man you know I'm here to serve you know he must increase I must decrease and and another interesting thing too the, the when it comes to this this marriage analogy and again it's all over the the scriptures 
this this idea you mentioned the threefold obligations of a husband to his wife. Can you tell me what those three things are, and and, and how God kind of yeah. fulfills that too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 very significant. I mean, obviously, a husband is to provide food. He is to provide for provide clothing and a home, and you know, and for the and for marital, uh, you know, marital marital bliss, marital bliss. Mm. In the relationship, intimacy. That's a nice way in to the put relationship. it. <laughs> you know, so this is an I know what you're talking thing, about. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about, and so I think again, this is he is the ultimate fulfillment of that for us on a spiritual level, and I think that's even the significance of why he turned the water into wine. When you think about it for a moment, I mean. What's the first miracle Moses did? He turned the water into blood. Mm. Jesus doesn't come to bring death. He comes to bring life that we might have it more abundantly. And so he turns the water into wine because he doesn't. He comes to change us. We talk about in this chapter about the water into wine is the miracle of transformation. He takes something that's ordinary, transforms it into something extraordinary. That's what he wants to do in each one of our life, and wine is central to the Jewish wedding. I mean, it's centered around two cups of wine for mm-hmm. the two parts of the marriage ceremony, and so obviously what you're saying, wine is a symbol of joy, it's a symbol of redemption, it's a symbol of so many things, biblically and in Jewish culture, but in the context of what you're talking about, the in, in the context of the Eucharist, yes, it's like, Every time we partake, we are recommitting ourselves to the Lord, and He is recommitting Himself to us like we're standing under that wedding uh, canopy and and remembering our first love. That's an absolutely beautiful image. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel, author of the new book, Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, A Fresh Look at the Miracles of Jesus. And of course, you do talk about the mother of our Lord, and of course, she would have been known by her Hebrew name, Miriam. And and she she kind of and you mentioned the, the word chutzpah you know <laughs> explain what chutzpah is we hear this term a lot and she kind of really exemplified that didn't she absolutely the word chutzpah or chutzpah is kind of like a holy boldness a holy spiritual audacity and I love it because she comes to Jesus and she says to him look the wine has run out, I need you to do something about it. And and he's like, woman, you know, this has nothing to do, you know, it's not my time. But she doesn't take no for an answer. She has chutzpah. Chutzpah is not <laughs> taking no for an answer when you know something is right and spiritually or morally needs to be done. And so she turns to the banquet attendants and says, listen, whatever he says, you do it. And uh, like a good boy, he honors his mother, <laughs> as in the Ten Commandments, <laughs> and he does the miracle. He does it. He and, does it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we need to have that same sort of holy chutzpah that Mary had if mm. we're going to change the world, you know? Yeah, it, it's so true. I like that holy chutzpah. Rabbi Jason Sobel is my guest. If you have a question for Rabbi, call in, 888 Nine one four nine. Your phone call is coming up in just a moment. And one of the, one of the things that's interesting about the book as well, Rabbi, is that you talk about a lot about numbers, the numbers game, if you will, when it comes to <laughs> biblical faith. Now, some of this stuff is, is 
it really kind of got my attention. And with respect especially to um, the miracle of changing water into wine at Cana, you, you talk about the, the fact that there were six stone pots or jars that were used there. What is the significance of the number six? And, and, and you don't think this is a coincidence at all, do you? Yeah, there's no coincidences with God, <laughs> right? And so if there's a detail, God doesn't waste words. So if there's a detail in the Bible, it's there for a reason. Part of the beauty of that is just like God is in the details, he, he's in the details of our lives as well. He doesn't mm-hmm. overlook anything. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's in, involved with it all. But I think as far as with the six stone pots in particular, what's interesting about that detail is man was created on the sixth day. And and Jewish thought man fell on the sixth day. Hmm. When Jesus dies, he dies on Good Friday, which on the biblical calendar, Friday is the sixth day. So Jesus died on the cross on the sixth day. Well, why does he die on a cross? Well, how did sin enter the world? The original sin happened when man and woman took from the tree when God commanded them not to take from the tree. So Jesus gets put and dies on a tree to reverse the curse that the first man and woman brought into the world. His head is a crown of thorns on his head. Why? What's the sign of creation? That the ground will produce thorns and thistles. He's taking the curse on his head. His hands are pierced because our hands took from the tree. His side is pierced because he was taken from the side, the one who led him into temptation. He can keep going down. And so he dies on the sixth day, the same day a man was created and fell, to reverse the curse, restore the blessing. And when Jesus comes and does the first miracle with the six stone pots, he's restoring the original fruitfulness that we had in the beginning in the garden. Wow, that 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 is an intriguing, intriguing look at that number. And sometimes we, we think about the the five wounds of Jesus on the cross, but there are actually six. There are actually six, as, as you mentioned. Yep. His head with the crown of thorns, his side, two hands, two feet. And, and these are obviously in fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy as well, specifically Psalm 22, correct? Yes, exactly. It says, they, they pierced my hands and my feet. So absolutely, he is fulfilling that prophecy on the cross. Part of the reason why his feet were pierced was because the first Messianic prophecy, Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent, and Satan's like mocking the promises of God. He's like, you think you're going to crush my head? I'm going to nail your feet to that cross. Let's see how you're going to defeat me now. He was trying to foil God's plan without even realizing it, but was actually fulfilling it. And and so often how God works the world or, you know, the devil might mock us, but God is actually using all of these things to bring about his fulfillment. The other thing about the number six is Hebrews alphanumeric. So you write numbers with letters. There's no mm-hmm. Roman numerals in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the way that you write the number six in Hebrew is with the letter Vav, which is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's the conjunction and. And the first place that letter Vav occurs, which is the sixth letter and which represents the six, is when God created the heaven and earth. So the Vav is the letter that connects heaven and earth. So when we sin, we broke the connection. Jesus dies on the sixth day, does the miracle with the six stone pot to show he's restoring that connection that we can come back into relationship with him like it was at the start. Oh, I love that. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show 
on Relevant Radio. My guest is Rabbi Jason Sobel. And one of the, one of the things I, I, I love about your book, Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, is that you not only go through these miracles and what some of the Old Testament background is, especially showing how Jesus is a new and greater Moses, much greater. You also, it's very, it's very much centered on application as well. And, and talk to me about how, I mean, obviously the, the, the horrified uh, family at, the, at this wedding, real, oh my goodness, they've run out of wine. I mean, this is a major social faux pas in, in the Jewish world, as you explained. And they've kind of hit rock bottom, if you will. I mean, it's, they've hit the rock bottoms of the stone jars. They're totally empty. What what can we do? How can this 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 account of this miracle help us? And what what's the new old wine that you that you mention in the book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many things. There. I mean, I think one thing is that oftentimes, you know, in the miracle, the miracle doesn't happen until everything runs out. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. God has to let everything run out before He steps in because we have to oftentimes come to an end of ourselves before God can really begin, you know, with us. It's a miracle of transformation. It's connected to the promise of new creation. It's a new creation miracle. He says, you know, Paul, you know the, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, in Christ you are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. Like, we are not the sum of our past mistakes or past sins or past failures in him he makes us something new and completely different as part of the eternal life and abundant life uh, that he offers us which is really just such a a beautiful thing i love that way and as you're right we've got to have that holy chutzpah to 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 almost take hold of that just just like the servants took hold of those stone jars and, and it's like, okay i don't know how this is going to work but I, i'm going to trust you i'm going to trust you on this and a, a great miracle occurred and, and by the way one of the things that uh, you should know is if you ever do go to the famous wedding church in cana in galilee and i know rabbi you do a number of tours in the holy land uh, you go there a lot uh it's one of your favorite places to go i always tell people Never buy the wine there. There's all kinds of people selling all kinds of wine. Here's some Cana wine. It's terrible. It's it, it's definitely not like the wine that Jesus uh, concocted, if you will. There's no question about that. But listen, this is a. Uh, I I am just enjoying you know partaking of this conversation with Rabbi Jason Sobel. But we'll be right back. We've got some some callers on the line. If you want to call in, if you've got a question for a Messianic rabbi, call in to Rabbi Jason Sobel. You can ask him your question. Triple eight nine one four. 9149's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Stay tuned. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. I thought about calling this show a rabbi and a Catholic walk into a radio show, but that's kind of what's happened here. Rabbi Jason Sobel is my guest. He's a rabbi who knows very well that Jesus is the Messiah. He's part of a Messianic congregation. And he's also the author of a new book, Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, A Fresh Look at the Miracles of Jesus. And Rabbi, we've got some, got some callers here. And if you want to call in, if you've got a question for Rabbi, 888-914-9149 is the number. Let's go to Dan in Bethesda, Maryland on line two. Hi, Dan. I'm greeting Great show, Rabbi Jason. It's uh, incredible. The Christian narrative more or less is a paradigm of an Orthodox Jewish wedding, is it not? Where, where the bride, 
where the bridegroom is coming back and we are in waiting for him is the take I get. And that's that. My question... Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Uh, I... I thought about, well, the... Did the Jews reject Jesus on his theological claim of Messiahship? Could have been his sociological claim of now your faith is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Okay, that, Dan, Dan, that's a great question. Uh, your, your phone's kind of breaking up a little bit. Let's let Rabbi have at those, uh, those questions that you mentioned there. Go ahead, Rabbi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the first uh, point that you made, which was excellent about the wedding being such an important paradigm to understand for the Gospels, yes, I mean, many of that's why many of Jesus' parables revolve around the wedding, uh, the, the wise and foolish uh, virgins. Right. And the Jewish wedding in ancient times would take place in two stages. One would be the betrothal, and which was on the level of legally being married, except the marriage wouldn't be consummated. But in all ways, all other ways, it was. That's why if Joseph wanted to put Mary away, he would have actually had to give her a, a bill of divorce, and there's a lot of interesting things there. And then once they were engaged, then he would go and prepare a place for his bride and come back within a time frame, but at an unspecified hour. And that's why the uh, maidens had to be ready, not knowing the exact time, which is a picture of we have to be waiting and ready for the day and the hour that we're not sure of when uh, Jesus returns at the second coming. So absolutely. In terms of why the Jewish people rejected Jesus in his day, I think there are a number of of reasons for that. I think part of it, Scripture says, like in Isaiah 53, that the religious leaders had to reject Jesus if he was going to be the Messiah. That's part of the paradigm throughout the Old Testament, just like Joseph's brothers rejected him, just like Israel initially rejected Moses. Isaiah 53, other passages talk about the suffering and the rejection of the Messiah. But then on top of that, I think there is, over time, like we see in the book of Acts, saying that Gentiles could have full participation in the family of God without converting to Judaism by just simply having faith in Jesus was obviously something that was very radical, even though there was, that's part of the good news, even though there was always a promise for the nations, even in Jewish thought, the nations would ultimately be blessed by the Messiah. But I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, that God never broke his covenant with Israel, that Jesus died as the king of the Jews. He came in as as the son of David in Jewish uh, flesh, all the apostles we're Jewish. Salvation is of the Jews, like you mentioned. Ultimately, it says in Romans, all Israel will be saved, but it is tied to coming to a knowledge of who Jesus truly is as the Messiah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that, along those lines, Rabbi, that uh, Roy Shoman mentioned in his book, he, he did mention the Joseph incident as well, how he reveals himself to his brothers. Oh, it was you all along. And he says, he thinks it's going to be like that in a certain sense, uh, upon the return of Christ, because he is rejected by many as Messiah, but not by all. And even during his ministry, we yeah. have to remember that multitudes of Jews did follow Jesus. He had a significant following. Think about the triumphal entry during Holy Week. 
And when he was condemned in this kangaroo court by night, uh, illegal trial, it's not as if there was a massive crowd of people there. Most people probably didn't even know no. what was going on until it was too late. And we always have to remember, it, it was the religious authorities of Jerusalem, the high priest and his cronies, who were totally corrupt in many ways, that, that actually handed him over to Pilate. It, even the Pharisees, as much as they would fight with Jesus in certain ways, it was almost like a brotherly spat. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Rabbi, but they thought uh, very similarly about all kinds of things, like the resurrection and... Uh, it, there's so many things we could say about this, but, but... no, no, a- absolutely. I mean, that's why when you look, for example, both in the Gospels, but even more significantly uh, for this point in the Book of Acts, the early followers of Jesus were really being persecuted by the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the rabbis, the Pharisees, like Gamaliel, stood up for the early believers and said, "Look, don't persecute him. This is of God. It'll come." If it's not of God, it'll come to nothing. If it is of God, you you won't be able to stop it, right? Mm. This was a leading Pharisee of his day uh, who was also a teacher of Paul. That's right. right? (laughs) Who would become the great great apostle of Pharisees. I mean, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, I mean, who played such a part in the the Easter Mm. story. I mean, they were Pharisees and part of Sanhedrin. So... Obviously, it was uh, interesting, but the thing about the priests is that we actually talk about this in the book, in The Miracle of the New Birth, how part of the reason why the priests didn't like him is because the priests rejected all the books of the Bible except the first five books of Moses. So they didn't right. believe in the Messianic prophecies about the Messiah. They didn't believe in the supernatural. That's a great point. They didn't believe in miracles and the resurrection of the dead. So here's the guy doing miracles, talking about the resurrection, all these things, which was exactly the opposite of what they believed and was a threat to them and their religious power, the priesthood that existed in that day. Absolutely, and, and they were Sadducees, the high priest, and, and that's why they were so sad, you see. They didn't believe in the afterlife. You know, it's just, that's the end. It's the end. Death is the end. Right. How, how sad. All right, well, let's, let's uh, take another call for Rabbi Jason. Let's go to Gary on Line 6 in Stony Point, New York. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you, John. Wonderful, wonderful show. Rabbi, i got a question for you. In the letter to the Hebrews, I think I understand it's written by uh, a rabbi to other rabbis, to other Jews. And the warning passages in uh, uh, chapter 6 and chapter 10 about falling away and going back to Judaism, that they could not repent of that, I understood that that was more hyperbole than anything else. I'm hoping that maybe you can give some clarity to that. Interesting yeah, thought. I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, scholar. I mean, scholars. There's a debate among scholars of who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some mm-hmm. say Paul, some say Apollos, or some other unnamed uh, individual. Obviously, it's very Jewish in its orientation, with a real focus on the on the temple and on Jesus yeah. being the fulfillment of the sacrifices and. And of, and of the ultimate priest and the, the, the birthing of the Melchizedekian priesthood, all of that. What we have to understand is that as the first century moved on, there was a lot of, because the early followers of Jesus were so, having such a big impact, and Jewish people were coming to faith. And what's interesting is actually in the Talmud, one of the holiest Jewish books, right, it says that, it was forbidden to receive healing in Jesus' name. So it's mm-hmm. like evidence that people were being healed in his name. That's a great right? point. And it was concerning, 
right? So it's not a question of whether Jesus did miracles or his father or his followers did miracles. It was the question of, you know, is this legitimately God or not? And so there was a lot of pressure of, if you believe in Jesus, you could be kicked out of the synagogue, you could be ostracized from your family, you could lose your livelihood, which is still a reality for many Jews who believe today, if they come to faith in the religious Mm -hmm. community in Israel. And so it was a warning, you know, don't go back, but maintain the faith that you found, because, you know, if you walk away and go down that path and you turn your back on Jesus, you know, there's eternal consequences for that. Yeah, very, very good, good question, Gary. Really appreciate that question. And, and Rabbi, we're, 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 I just want to make sure we get this in there because we're, we're kind of running out of time. Where can people find you on, on social media and on the web? Absolutely. We'd love to uh, connect with our Catholic brothers and sisters. Uh, we, you can connect Rabbi Jason Sobel on all social media platforms or on our website, fusionglobal.org. Uh, and it's really been fun interacting with a lot of my Catholic brothers and sisters through the work that we do with The Chosen. Yeah, absolutely. Jonathan Rumi, who, who plays Jesus, of course, is Catholic. And, and what's your experience been like? I was going to ask you about that on, on the show uh, just, just really quickly. Obviously, they're, they're, they're consulting with you about a lot of these scenes that they're filming. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I've been a spiritual advisor. I was the first spiritual advisor on The Chosen before he even had a name, when they were deciding on the name, and took Dallas and some of the crew to Israel to help them understand the Jewish contest, because that's one of the things they felt important to bring into The Chosen. As you see, they're doing the Jewish holidays and the Sabbath and all of that. So it's been it's been great. It's been a blessing to be part of it. And I am friends with, with Jonathan Harumi, who plays Jesus. And I'll tell you a funny story. He's, we got, we got about uh, thirty know, seconds. We got about thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, he came to our he came to our house one time for Passover, and my, and my son said to me, "Jason, it's really weird that Jesus is sitting at the table and you're leading the Passover." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, I tell you what, I, I have so many questions. We're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to have you back on again. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Once again, the book is Signs and Secrets of the Messiah, published by Thomas Nelson. And like Rabbi said, you can find him on all social media social media platforms at. Rabbi Jason Sobel. Thanks, Rabbi. It was great to run you down. You've been listening to The K.O. Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Miranda and Patrick took your phone calls. See you tomorrow. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.